technology? And he said, is this a good idea? And can you raise 500,000 to seed it, fly to Russia, meet Last Cosmos, and see if we can get some traction? I said, I think it's a great idea, and I can. And so I typed up a two-page letter of intent in my basement here in Vancouver with, with the Russian Space Agency, and it was, we'll give you the cameras, you do the launch, the installation, the power, the downlink, and then and then we'll split the data, of course. And I had no idea what any of that meant, but uh, it was very opportunistic. Hello and welcome to the New Space Vision podcast, where we discuss the technology, economy and dreams of innovation and new space with executives, founders and other exciting people from the startup and new space ecosystem. I'm Sven Pschivara. And I'm Danny Seidel. And uh, together we are the founders of LiveView and New Space Vision. Uh, today we are excited to welcome Scott Larson. Uh, he is the co-founder and CEO of Space Alpha Insights, which unsurprisingly provides insights on Earth with imagery from space. Um, yeah, Scott, uh, you are a seasoned entrepreneur and uh, we are very excited about your insights on the new space movement. So, uh, I mean, first of all, Scott, uh, what is uh, Space Alpha Insights doing? Yeah, first off, thanks very much for having me. I appreciate the interest in, uh, in what we're doing. Space Alpha is a Earth observation company uh, using building out uh, what we think is the world's leading uh, synthetic aperture radar technology. And then uh, taking the data that we're able to generate from uh, synthetic aperture radar and to your earlier point, use it to uh, develop algorithms and, and information that allows us to try to predict the future. Yeah. But you not only have been and you not only are the founder and uh, CEO of Space Alpha Insights, but you are generally a pioneer in new space and you were involved super early in that ecosystem and, for example, founded Earthcast in 2010. What was the trigger for you to go into the private space industry years before people were talking about new space more broadly? Well, I think it was it was it was very opportunistic. Uh, I was my background was kind of a uh, a combination of uh, finance and technology. And in 2009, 2010, my brother, who previously worked for Mc, uh, for both the Canadian Space Agency as well as McDonald Detweiler, which is Canada's largest aerospace firm, that company had been contacted by uh, the Russian Space Agency. Uh, in in 2009, 2010, and asking them if they wanted to put cameras, in fact, uh, radar cameras on the International Space Station. MDA is the world leader in, in radar. And so my brother was sent to Moscow to tell Roscosmos that this wasn't going to work. It's, 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 it's uh, tricky technology. There's all kinds of export controls, of course. And uh, so he was in a, in a board meeting in Moscow, and he said, we can't do this for export reasons. And they said, we understand that, um, you know, we get that. It's, it is tricky technology. And he said, how about a couple of uh, web cameras? Kind of like, uh, we'll put them up there. It's not complicated. We'll put these things on the outside of the space station. And then we'll stream this data live like a Google Earth. And uh, they said, actually, you know what? That's spectacular. This is what space is for. It's educational. It's humanitarian. It's inspirational. You look to the heavens. You know, this is what space is for. And so he came back. He went to his company which is basically a large uh, defense contractor. And they said, ah, too internet, too startup, too appy, too, you know, uh, this, you know they, 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 this isn't what they do. And so uh, he came to me, and my background was in finance and technology, and he said, is this a good idea? 
and can you raise 500,000 to seed it, fly to Russia, meet Roscosmos and see if we can get some traction? I said, I think it's a great idea and I can. And so I uh, typed up a two page letter of intent in my basement here in Vancouver with, with the Russian space agency. And it was, we'll give you the cameras. You do the launch, the installation, the power, the downlink, and then and then we'll split the data, of course. And I had no idea what any of that meant, you know, what what exactly that meant. But uh, it was it was very opportunistic. And I flew to Moscow and hashed out a kind of a loose agreement with Roscosmos, which is we'll give you the cameras, you do everything else, we'll split the data, and then we'll go from there. And so that really was the um, was the genesis of how we started Earthcast. Yeah, super exciting. So, so coming from the finance industry to to space tech, and I mean today we uh, uh, um, we will mainly talk about uh, space alpha insets and not not Earthcast. But uh, what was the biggest challenge for you uh, coming uh, from from the finance industry to the to the space ecosystem? Yeah, I mean, it was, space obviously is a small industry, smaller back then, very very niche. Uh, and uh, what I realized I needed to do was be able to answer six questions, maybe 10. And if I could answer the first few questions that, that anybody would ask me, then because so few people know anything about space, if you can answer 10 questions, you're an expert. And <laughs> if someone asks you the, you the 11th question, you go, you know what, I have to get one of my technical guys in the room, you know, we can, we can, you know, we can answer that for you. So something that if someone would ask something very, very specific, technical, complicated on, some something then but because most people don't even know what a satellite is or you know what is the international space station what is earth observation what does any of this mean uh being able to answer a few questions allowed me to be an expert and um just because the industry is so niche it's less like that than it was back in in uh 10 12 years ago it still is a little bit of that because it's a niche industry but uh i i I tried to learn as early as I can what the first eight, 10 questions that anybody would possibly ask and learn the answers to those. And then that was it. So exactly. Then you already said it. Today we focus on space alpha insects, but maybe could you quickly run us through the the trajectory of Earthcast since uh, the moment you spoke to the Russians about this loose agreement? Yeah. So we started the company in 2010 in my basement here in Vancouver. We scaled it up. We took a, uh, we took a public... Uh, we raised a couple hundred million dollars. Uh, I was the CEO, we, uh, and then I stepped down five years to the day from when we started it. We had about 250 employees and, and seven or eight offices around the world, and I left it to go to another startup. And uh, uh, I, I uh, was one of the founders of a company called Helios Wire, which we started four or five months after I left Earthcast, which was building out a satellite-enabled uh, IoT network. And so this was in 2016. Uh, we were one of the early ones. We had S-band spectrum. Uh, and the idea was, was that we'd build small nodes on the ground to transmit data to uh, a combination of uh, low Earth orbit satellites. Uh, and I think we, we still hold the record, if I'm not mistaken, of shortest time between incorporation of the company and launch of the first satellite, which was about 15 months. So 15 months after we started the company, we had the first satellite launched. It went up on a Soyuz rocket, which actually blew up, oh. which was, I think, the last rocket failure. Um, 
anyway, so we launched one on, on a Soyuz, we launched a second one on a SpaceX out of LA, and then we ended up selling that company uh, two and a half years ago to EchoStar, a large uh, satellite operator out of uh, Denver, Colorado. They came in, they bought the space assets, they bought the spectrum and some of the ground technology. And so that, that sold a couple years ago. And then um, about uh, two years ago, the new CEO and CFO of EarthCast called me up. In, in fact, it was two years ago, August, called me up. And, and I would met him, but I didn't really know him that well because uh, it had been two or three after I'd left. Called up and said, we have a problem. Uh, we had a financing that was supposed to close last week. It didn't. It fell apart. We need a million dollars by Wednesday to get into uh, bankruptcy protection. And in, bank, in, in Canada, it's called uh, CCAA. So bankruptcy protection is CCAA. And they said... I said, I'm, 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 I'm sorry to hear that. I'm not a bankruptcy kind of guy. It's you know very procedural in front of the judges, the courts, and all the rest of it. Anyways, long story short, myself and a couple friends put in the million dollars. It got into protection, and when you get into bankruptcy protection, you basically have the courts. Uh, the judge allows you a few months to kind of figure it out, and you typically end up negotiating with your customers, your suppliers, your stakeholders, employees. No one can sue you. And, and then you come out of that either leaner, meaner, and stronger, or you have to sell the assets. And in this case, the judge told them to sell the assets. So they sold the optical division to a private equity group out of New York for 60 million or so. Uh, Earthcast had, had a couple of optical uh, satellites that were based in Spain that they sold back to some Spanish and Portuguese guys. And then the third bucket of assets was uh, a division within the company that was focused on uh, synthetic aperture radar. And they'd spent about $5 million building the tech out, uh, put about $65 million into it. And because of COVID, because of timing, because whatever, um, we were able to, to buy this through an auction. And so that transaction closed in January of last year. And we ended up with this very, very late stage uh, synthetic aperture radar technology that was mainly funded by the Canadian government, the CSA, the Canadian uh, DND, some international customers, and uh, frankly, an opportunity, an opportunity to see what we could do with this. And so we raised $5 million from some VCs out of the U.S. and uh, kind of an unusual beginning with very, very late stage technology, but very, very much a startup. And so that's, yeah, that was the genesis. That was how we started the company. Yeah, that's, uh, um, of course, an exciting journey, right? Being the founder of the company, it's uh, going public, and then you were actually not working there anymore. Uh, it filed bankruptcy, you're, you're back, and now you started your next company. So um, there has to be a lot of intrinsic motivation, I think, for, for this topic, right? Well, I do. Yeah, I, I, I keep getting pulled back into it for some reason into space. So I do like it, and it's... it's uh, I. I you know, it was it was opportunistic the first time when we started Earthcast, just kind of a random set of circumstances. We took advantage of it. We were able to grow with it and make something out of it. But uh, yeah, I like it's. Um, yeah, there is a, a inherent appreciation of space, I suppose. And the longer you're in it, you know, the more addicted you get to it to a certain extent and what's possible, what can be done with it and the new technologies. And, and so you know, just, just, you know, the things that we can do now, of course, and you guys are in the mix, but the things that, that and it can be done now are significantly different than anybody would have thought of a few years ago, just because the ecosystem is that much further along. 
Yeah. So um, what Sven and I asked ourselves is uh, like, what is what is the focus, right? Of course, it's uh, about ZAR uh, uh, data, right? So so synthetic aperturator data. But do you have a hardware or software focus or both? Yeah. So what we're doing, um, our technology is called SAR XL. And what's unique about this is that it's a uh, our version of the technology is a large flat panel, um, you know, kind of two meters by six meters, if you will. That's the payload it's mounted at the bottom of a satellite, and it operates in uh, two different bands. And this is also unique. The L band, and of course, you know, for for uh, some of the folks listening, uh, what what a synthetic aperture radio is is basically sends down an electrical pulse. The pulse hits the ground and bounces back up, and that reflection is then interpreted into an image. Uh, so you can see through clouds, you can see at night in certain cases, you can see through trees, into underground, of course, as well. And so um, you, you end up with a very, very rich data set. What's unique about our technology that we're building is we operate in uh, two different bands, X and L. The L band gives us wide coverage, so we can see wide about 250, 300 kilometers wide. So it's looking down and and out. And then we have a software algorithms built into the payload that uh, assist in the tasking, in the tipping and queuing. So imagine, if you will, the satellite is orbiting Earth, the L band is looking down in medium resolution, it can see anything that's five, six meters big, it sees something off to the side in the ocean that is long and narrow. And it says, that's interesting. It'll then automatically direct the X-band over to take a high-resolution snapshot of that thing in the ocean off to the side that is long and narrow. And so first you have surveillance. It just kind of sees whatever it sees. Then you get into uh, identification. Is that a ship? It is a ship. Then you get into classification, which is what type of ship is it? Is it military, commercial? It's commercial. Is it a freighter or tanker? It's a tanker. And then ultimately information, which is uh, how full is it? based on analyzing the wake, how fast is it going? Because of course we can track speed and direction. And then perhaps where is it going? And so if you if you can do that on scale, on mass, and you are imaging you know, the Gulf of New Mexico or the Persian Gulf or whatever it is, and you realize that there's 50 tankers in the ocean and they're all full, the price of oil is gonna go down because there's excess supply. And so what's what's unique about our technology is that this happens in orbit in real time. And so you don't have to upload the locations that you want to task and, and, and take pictures of, which is typically how it's done at Earth Observation. Take a picture of this location, that location, this location, that location. You have uh, some, some machine learning built into the payload that determines what it should take, what it should image. Yeah. Well, this sounds this sounds super exciting. Uh, but for me, as a person who knows a little bit about satellite, this sounds also quite complicated right you have two different bands of of yeah from a star satellite on the same system you have in orbit analysis on as you already said on the payload itself um how do you how do you think like do you don't you think that it is quite complex how what kind of an organization how large do you think an organization needs to be to completely um develop and operate this entire system end to end It is complex, for sure. Space is, everything about space, of course, is is, is hard. Um, we, we only focus on the payload. So we're not building the satellite. We're not building the bus. We're not building the ground segment. We build the payload. And our payload is then is, is attached to someone else's, someone else who builds the bus, of course. 
which would be an Airbus or someone else who builds SSTL, who who actually builds a satellite. Um, from a from right now, we're 35 people. We started a year ago, 18 months ago. We had uh, 11 people. Now we're about 35. Uh, I think as we scale up, and 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 we're from a hardware uh, standpoint, most of that we can outsource in terms of the manufacturing and the build and so forth. Of course, the launch is someone else, the bus is someone else. Uh, we'll build certain components of it, some of the chips and things like that. But uh, we're basically focusing on the software, on the on the in-orbit software. Some some of the payload, you know, the systems, the integration, of course, all that is complex uh, and, and needs to be managed. Uh, but once we get past that stage, then we end up being, you know, there's the upstream, which is the satellites, there's the midstream, which is the data processing, and then there's the downstream. And so our focus is both on the upstream, getting the satellites in orbit, and then the downstream and kind of working with other folks who want this type of data and who can use it for predictive analytics. And uh, we end up as a, as a kind of a downstream provider. Cool. Now, okay, that clarifies a lot. And for everyone who's listening who doesn't know what a bus is, the bus is, you could say, um, yeah, the, the basic satellite. And then on top of this bus, you would exactly have a payload, which, for example, could be, in this case, a SAR sensor, so a radar sensor, an optical sensor, could be a telecommunication unit or whatever. Um, but coming back to, to what you've just said, um, so you've mentioned already applications such as um, tracking of um, oil ships in the ocean. Um, do you have a certain customer segment which you want to focus on, um, for example, the financial market? Um, and also, do you will your satellite have the optionality to update models in space? Yeah. So we uh, this is this is Earth observation is inherently dual purpose, which you sell to governments and then you sell to commercial sites. Sure. And so from a from a government standpoint, of course, Earth observation is Coast Guard and Border Patrol and things like that. On the commercial side, uh, the L-band allows us to do some things that are unique. Uh, L-band is typically the under frequency that is used for water, environmental assessment. Um, and so we have these two different bands. And if you imagine it's flying over the Amazon, the X-band hits the top of the trees and bounces off. The L-band penetrates through the trees, hits the ground. And so you end up with two different views Uh, the L-band as well is the band that tracks elevation. And so we can we can track elevation down to the we can track elevation change down to the millimeter level. And so if we're imaging over something and uh, the ground has changed, infrastructure has shifted, pipelines have moved, buildings have have tist, uh, 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 tilted or twisted, we can pick up that kind of elevation change with the L-band. And so that is unique. So uh, certainly agriculture, infrastructure, forestry management, uh, as well as um, insurance from a commercial standpoint, insurance, insurance will be a big market for us. I think on the financial side, I think that has to be proven out. People have talked about that for a long time. I think um, you know, that market needs to be proven. But yeah, there, there, are, there are certain segments of that that we think we can take advantage of. Yeah, and I mean, uh, you mentioned a lot of use cases where uh, we also are active with LiveEO, right? So, for example, pipeline monitoring is something we do, uh, vegetation management. Um, I was really excited to hear that you have a combined X and L band exactly because of the vegetation height. Uh, so so um, one question Sven and I asked us, uh, like, when uh, will LiveEO and comparable companies uh, will be able to, to buy data from Space Alpha Insight? Or will we actually be able to buy data or will you have it just for you? 
No, no, certainly, yeah. I mean, our plan is to work through uh, groups like you as well as other other distributors, both the end users as well as other distributors who are looking for this type of data. So uh, our first satellite is uh, we plan to launch it uh, late 2024, early 2025. These are, so these are not small satellites. Um, you know, these, the, uh, the, the in-orbit mass would be in the 15 or 1600 kilogram range. And so it's kind of halfway in between, if you will, a Airbus, a you know a Raytheon, a Lockheed type satellite, and a you know some of the smaller satellites that might weigh a couple hundred kilograms. And so we we end up in that category, which is our thesis as the company is is that we can offer you know a government type, a traditional quality data in terms of swath and coverage and resolution, kind of a combination of what customers are looking for at basically a fraction of the cost of what they're used to paying. At the same time, it's it's coverage. And so if someone wants to image all of the Middle East, all of the farms in in uh, Western Europe, all of the farms here in Northern Canada, uh, we offer that capability. Yeah, that, that sounds exciting. And um, especially because uh, of, of the huge swath, right? You can also, uh, with just a few satellites, uh, can actually have a great um, temperate spatial coverage, I assume. So, like, yeah, do, so, do, yeah. Yeah, so we think with, with six satellites, we can image all of Earth twice a day. Oh, that, that's exciting. Yeah. And there's uh, something, um, what, what, what we can observe, I think, right now. So uh, in the early days of new space, it was, uh, everyone was talking about CubeSats. But I have to, I have to say, uh, like, to be honest, um, beside um, planet uh, Duff, which also have grown a bit, I can see a, a huge trend actually on the small sets, and now uh, your your satellites are even even taller than this, right? So, um, is it does it did it also be, be become significantly cheaper to launch these systems, which are more than one thousand five hundred kilograms? Yeah, I mean, in in, in space, physics matter and um, size matters, and so you see a lot of the cube sats and even the small sats that are now getting larger, uh, just because the launch costs are so cheap. So, it used to be. Five, seven years ago, launch was outrageously expensive. You would try to make a satellite as light and as small as possible and strip down anything that really, really wasn't needed in order to save launch costs. And now, um, with, of course, SpaceX and, and you know the Starship and everything, launch costs are coming down to the point where they're almost free. And so launch is, launch is, not, an, launch is not a consideration. The consideration is what type of capabilities can we get out of a spacecraft? And if we need to go five or 10% bigger, in the past it would have been take 20% off, just, just make it smaller because we can't spend yeah. $5 million on launch and, or, or more. And now the opposite is true, which is should we add a little more capabilities into the spacecraft to get better resolution, better swath, better capabilities, better downlink, better whatever, whatever the satellite is trying to do, uh, because it's, it's, it's building satellites is still expensive, But launching them is actually not really. Yeah. And so let's make the satellites better to get better capabilities and not worry so much about launch. And so we fit into that. Yeah. 
Well, that's a very interesting take and, and definitely true. If we see it, um, the, the ride share prices SpaceX is putting out there, it's really incredible to compare to the prices uh, some of the launch providers asked for a couple of years uh, ago. But coming back to some of the use cases, you've mentioned insurance and you've also said prior to that that finance still has to be proven out. And I agree um, that over the last couple of, of years or now maybe a decade, people are speaking about, well, the great um, capability of satellite data in the financial industry without then having really replicable use cases in that. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned that insurance is one of the biggest um, markets you look after uh, with your special X and L band combination. Is there anything you can share with us in particular what you could do with this combination in the, uh, for the insurance industry? Yeah, so um, flooding as an example, because of the L band allows you to track water, of course. Um, so Flooding is a is a is a is a is a is a is an obvious example. Someone calls up. My farm was flooded. My field was flooded. My house was washed out. You can get uh, satellite imagery from a week ago. This is what it looked like. You can get satellite imagery from today. And in fact, is it washed out? And so uh, the L band allows for that specific capability. Uh, water management, water water waste, water leakage, things like that, also also capable with the L band. So. Um, from the insurance standpoint, and then, and then frankly, just, just imaging oftentimes over areas where there are insurance claims, it's either cloudy, rainy, uh, forest fires as an example, so you can't th see through smoke. So optical satellites often don't meet the requirement, whereas uh, synthetic aperture radar, which you don't have to worry about weather and clouds and things like that, you can get the imagery much faster without trying to predict other uh, weather-related issues. And so a small nuance there, but an important one if you're trying to get data um, as fast as possible. Yeah, we can totally second that. Uh, we, we just launched our uh, rapid re disaster response product, uh, which is also based on radar. Uh, one thing we observed is, uh, even with the new constellations from Capella and Isai, in case of such a storm with a, with a flood, um, the capacity is still an issue um, very often. Um, and uh, I mean, you mentioned uh, you can visit every uh, uh, a place on Earth twice a, a day, but um, how long would it take for you? Or is this actually a plan to also create base maps, uh, global base maps, or maybe of the um, of land masses uh, on a frequent basis? Or is this not of interest? So, yeah, I mean, so you know, some of the folks who are focused more on the revisit uh, market in terms of smaller swath, yeah. high resolution, but 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 small swath. Um, the reality is, is that most of Earth doesn't change that often. Agriculture doesn't change that often. It just, it just doesn't change that often. So you don't typically need to see something three times a day. You want to see change, which happens over time, agricultural, insurance, infrastructure, environmental change. Most of that happens weekly, bi-weekly, monthly. Yeah. So uh, outside of a very, very niche, but outside of some very, very niche markets, things don't actually change that often. And so our, our coverage, our swath, allows us to do exactly that, which is build up base maps, which is image all of Earth, which is track change on a global scale over time. And so you can, you can use that to, you know, urban, urban pipelines, infrastructure, cities, buildings, things like that. You can do that when you have that type of coverage, which is, which is unique. That's definitely unique. Um, I mean, uh, we are big fans of the of the Planet Duff data, just because you can go back in the archive and you have this uh, 
this um, uh, huge archive of multiple time steps and you can actually see uh, what, what happened there in the past. But you also know that uh, next week there will be data. Um, so that's definitely exciting. So um, we, what, what is the resolution for the different bands? Uh, I mean, of course, you will have different imaging modes, I assume. Um, but what is the resolution you can offer or the range? Yeah, so the L band uh, will typically image in about uh, five, seven meter uh, resolution, GSD, ground snapping uh, uh, GSD. On the X band, we get into some ITAR and into some government controls, of course, but uh, 40 centimeter resolution. Four. 40 centimeters. Yeah. Yeah. So you definitely have two fans now. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah. you know, so we get the coverage, of course, kind of a 250, 300 kilometer wide swath at a medium resolution, and then we get the high resolution down to 40 centimeters. And then as, as ITAR and government restrictions open up, yeah. which they do, uh, we think we can take it down to about 20, 25 centimeter uh, GSD resolution yeah well that's super impressive and, and really cool so as i already said we are very much looking forward to more supply from uh satellite operators just like uh, space alpha insights but then you already mentioned two other companies in the market such as capella space isi um as far as i know they only work on expand satellites so far but um obviously there are a lot of SAR radar companies and obviously there are more than only these two right umbra space and and i there are multiple Japanese constellations, exactly, Inspective, and, and, and more, maybe even, which we don't know about. Do you think there is a, a ZAR bubble right now going on? You know, I think it's, I mean, Earth observation as a whole is kind of a, a tricky industry. It, it's small, $5 billion maybe, kind of a small niche, niche industry. Uh, the optical portion of that would be about 75%, so kind of $3.5 billion, um, and very, very fragmented hundreds of Earth observation satellites, dozens of different companies, the Americans, the Canadians, the Europeans, the Chinese, the Indians, anyone could put up a, a, a optical satellite almost. On the radar side, historically, it's been very, very consolidated with kind of only three providers, which would be the Canadians, the Germans, and the Italians uh, providing SAR data. And then each of those government contractors, um, and it, you know, in the case of, of MDA, which was the world leader in, in SAR, they had an agreement with the Canadian government, which is Canada said, we'll give you a billion dollars, you build the satellite, we're taking all the data we want, and you can sell the excess data into the Earth observation market. And kind of the same thing with the Italians and the Germans, Airbus out of, out of, out of Germany, which is so a very, very supply-constrained market. And so um, you ended up with a situation where users who... Uh, had a very unpredictable supply of SAR data. And so why would you build out your business or why would you try to depend on SAR data if it was so hard to get, so so unpredictable? And then what's happened in the last seven, eight years is each one of those three providers became further consolidated. In, in the case of Canada, um, Ottawa gave MDA another billion dollars, built another satellite, it's called RCM, but we're taking all the data. And kind of the same thing with the Italians and the Germans. You know, we're only going to give you half of, you can only launch half the, half the number of satellites or there's no more budget or things like that. So a supply-constrained market that's been further constrained over the last number of years. And then since then, you've had, to your point, a number of startups who've come in. Capella, Isai, Umbra, some Japanese folks who are coming into the market and focusing very much on the revisit market, which is small satellites, the size of an office chair. We're going to put up as many of these can. 
and we're going to go after people who want to take pictures of something three, four, five times a day. High resolution, good quality data, uh, but going after the revisor market. And so uh, all that does is help because if customers, folks like yourself, know that you have a really uh, reasonably predictable supply of SAR data to build algorithms, models, applications, then more people will get into the downstream market, which is a good thing. So I, I don't think there's a bubble. I think there's an un, virtually an unlimited capacity or need for uh, synthetic aperture radar data. Costs will come down, use cases will go up, applications will go up, the market will expand. I think it's a good thing. I think each of us will find our niche. Um, you know, you've, you've mentioned agriculture and just a bunch of these other global industries that can be impacted by synthetic aperture radar and earth observation data are just waiting to be exploited. And so, no, I don't think there's, a, I don't think it's a bubble. I think SAR is the golden child or the, you know, it's, it's, you know, significantly better than earth, than, than, than optical in terms of applications and, and um, capabilities, but it's hard to work with. It's, it's, you know, SAR is hard to work with. It's, you know, you need to be a geospatial analyst. You need to have education in it. So it's not just like a pretty picture. So, yeah. you know, there's things that have to happen in the industry in order for that to grow, but the more data, the better. Yeah. And we absolutely agree. Obviously, ZAR data is very different, uh, different from optical. We are very lucky that we have some talented ZAR engineers also within our company. But we know that that this is definitely a, a barrier to entry. Another barrier to entry you've just mentioned, which is price. Um, ZAR data is still kind of costly, especially compared to optical data. And how do you think the price of satellite data uh, will develop over the next couple of years? Yeah, I think there's. I mean, I think there's a disconnect. For sure, there's a disconnect in the industry right now between the upstream market, you know, the uh, the data providers, and the downstream, uh, the data users. And um, you know, people people want data for free. On the other hand, the satellites cost hundreds of millions of dollars, and so you know that that you know there is that disconnect. And 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 you know, we need we need the free data to build out uh, predictive models for for algorithms. But well, the satellite costs 400 million dollars, and so you know, what do we do here? Um, Actually, at, at, at Earthcast, there was a uh, kind of a funny story where, you know, we we had the ability to take data, a uh, uh, video. So it's kind of the first color video of Earth from space. We had a video sat, uh, video cameras on the International Space Station, and we were just looking to explore the market. And, and I, I distinctly remember we got a call from a guy in uh, Southern California who had a website, kind of an app, if you will, a web app that tracked uh, surfing locations off the coast of California. And he called up and he goes, listen, I run this. It's it's California's largest surfing site, whatever that means. And uh, I want to get uh, video pictures of each of the surf locations down the coast of California so that people who surf can determine if, if you know, the waves are coming in or whatever they do. And I said, okay, that's, that's, that's an interesting use case. Um, we can do that because we can track video and so we can pick up waves and things like that. And he goes, great, I need, um, I need the entire coast of, of California imaged. I need, I need to get the pictures in, you know, the video in by five o'clock in the morning because people decide, <laughs> you know, people surf in the morning. And I'm, okay, it's, and, and he goes, and I want it for free because my users don't pay for it. You know, it's a free website. And so, you know, this is often, often kind of the disconnect, which is, You know, space station costs hundreds of billions of dollars. We had spent 50, $50 million dollars on the satellites, on the cameras, and he wanted the data for free. 
And uh, so this is that that kind of disconnect still does exist, but I think it's 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 getting less than it was 10 years ago because the cost of the data is coming down and the economics are, are being exploited and the predictive algorithms just have better value than they did back then. So those two things will continue to happen. Just one quick question to follow up here, which is exactly, you've mentioned cost comes down, cost oftentimes is a result of demand and supply, right? And we have satellite data analytics companies like ourselves, which buy data, and there are companies like yours selling data and others. And and so the question is, what do you think uh, will grow quicker? And will the price drop because there's more supply? Um, or will the price further increase because there's more demand building up? I think, um, I think the demand will pull the price down is actually what I think, because the, um, the applications are becoming more valuable. So if you can do a better job of predicting agriculture, insurance, forestry, farming, whatever you're doing with it, the price of oil, if you can really exploit the price of oil, And now you're not selling, you know, one picture for a million dollars. As an example, you're selling a million pictures for one dollar. Um, as the as the applications expand, um, the satellite, the data providers will feel comfortable bringing the price down. So I think that's going to be the first step in it. And then as launch costs come down, as satellites costs comes down, as as everything else comes down and there's more competition in that, I think the price will come down on its own. But right now, the data providers, the satellite companies, are, are, are doing all they can to uh, educate the market on what synthetic aperture radar data actually is and to look to increase uh, the use case, number of buyers, customers, applications. Yeah, that's a, a, a counterintuitive answer for most of the listeners, but I can see uh, some some parts here in, in, in the answer which totally makes sense because when you say there's more demand, um, there is also more funding um, uh, going uh, into the satellite operators. And I think also what you can do is actually you can utilize the existing assets in a way better fashion. So creating more images per satellite, right? That's That's one thing. But what we also very often see is uh, from the logistics of the data and the utilization of the hardware in orbit, there is also, uh, this is very much governmental driven um, and the mindset is not, not really there to, for example, just uh, take a lot of pictures in, in areas uh, where there is a high uh, potential utilization for commercial customers. This is very much driven for governmental customers. Um, so also a, a lot of um, things to do there. And then also the, the distribution we also see Uh, very often is not really modern. So um, just a, a simple distribution with APIs. Not everyone has this today, still today, right? But this is also for you to sell imagery, may, maybe may become cheaper. So um, what, what do you think um, from, from your perspective, uh, from the software side, the logistics or utilization of the satellite will have the biggest impact here? Yeah, SAR so data is tricky because, you know, one of the issues with, with Earth observation and in, in particular SAR data is the fact that you end up with too much data and there's just too much too many hmm. just, just too much information and so um, one of our satellites as an example will generate about 20 terabytes of data per day <laughs> so it just yeah. it's a lot like it just you know what do you do with that how, like, how do you process it like how do you work through this one of the uh, interesting things that um, we're building into our 
our technology is um, building out uh, inter-satellite uh, transmission capabilities. And so typically, of course, with Earth observation, you upload to the satellite what you want someone to take pictures of. So if you're over here, over here, over here, take a picture, satellite orbits Earth, it sees, it takes all those pictures, it images wherever it's supposed to, it sees a ground station, it drops the data down, new commands are sent up, and then you kind of repeat the process. Um, because we have the in-orbit tasking that I mentioned earlier, mm. and we can we can take the coverage, which is the L-band, and then we can point over the X-band to take a small a smaller picture, would essentially be an image chip. You can build out uh, intersatellite communications capabilities so that the data doesn't get dropped down. It would go, example, for example, from the satellite up to a Starlink satellite, gets relayed around and ends up with always on communication to a ground terminal. And so the data doesn't image, image, image drop down. The satellite images, mm. and then it'll send the data up to either a telesat network that's being linked out. There's a number of other uh, satellite communication chains which, you know, which, which will allow for always on communication. So the data goes up, and then it'll be transmitted around Earth to a satellite that is in all that is in contact with a ground terminal in your basement, in your country, wherever you are. And so you could effectively be sitting in your mom's basement and have <laughs> real-time communication, real-time images sent from Eastern Europe, the Middle East, the Amazon, North Africa, whatever it is, because we're not transmitting down 20 terabytes of data at once. We're just sending down the X-band image chips. And so that is, that's, the, that's one of the advantages of this onboard processing that I talked about. And that's a significant increase, improvement in the uh, transmission and the logistics chain that you mentioned. So I think um, things like that enable it. APIs, of course, and it, I mean, 10 years ago, even less, they were mailing out CDs or DVDs. You would call up and you know, send in a fax order. I want a data of this, and you get a DVD sent to you. Now, of course, it's more APIs, but still, it's there's significant improvement in um, how the transmission and the distribution of that data and and where it can go. So all that all that needs to be done, and and it's 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 coming, but it's coming slowly. So it's basically multiple ingredients here, which are getting better and better and better. And all the assumptions we had five years ago will will change, right? So that that's exciting. Um, uh, maybe the, the last question regarding the the, the product uh, and um, the company you're you're building here would be from our side. Um, will you also build? Um, End-user applications, um, so just thinking about a mobile app for an insurance company where someone will go out, or will you have uh, will you focus on the acquisition and the distribution on the data with your software? Yeah, I think we might pick a few of those niche markets, um, but right now we don't have those capabilities. So there's 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 probably a couple of markets where the customers are going to come to us and say, um, we just want the information. And so then, then we'll look to build out some of those information products in-house. Mm. But as it stands right now, we're focusing on the upstream, of course, which is the data acquisition. That has to happen first. Uh, the processing will be handled by other companies who do the processing, you know, the midstream, I guess, if you will. And then we will participate in the downstream. But, but primarily look for partners. 
in that, which is other companies that can do it better, that have the customers that have been working on this for the last five, 10 years and uh, work with partners like that. And there might be one or two niche markets that we look to see if we can uh, put our put our toe in the water. But but I think primarily through partners, we don't we don't really have those capabilities in house. Yeah. Okay, good. We're here to help and to support with that. The analytics bringing end user solutions to end customers, uh, for example, from data from you. Um, now, coming a little bit back to the beginning of our podcast, um, you worked in optical data, satellite data analytics. Um, yeah, sorry, you worked in optical satellite data constellations. You've built your own satellite communication constellation. Now you work in, in radar. And you could say that these were and are the three trends of the new space age till date. Obviously, taking a, a, a outside of launch and human spaceflight. Um, so what do you think is the next trend, for example, in Earth observation or in communication coming from space? Well, I think, I mean, people view space differently. Um, you know, people, some people view space. If we can get to space, we can go further. And, you know, this would be back to the moon. You know, this would be the Mars. If we can get up there, we can go further and then we can keep going further. So it's kind of space to, to just to go further. And then um, other people would be space for Earth, which is kind of the category that I fit into, which is let's use space to improve life, communication, Uh, just to improve how we manage the planet and some of the ways that we operate here on Earth. And so, you know, that's the category that uh, the last three companies that I've been involved with. And then the the third part would be space for space, which is the infrastructure, the launch, uh, the satellite refueling, the, you know, the in-orbit buses and tugs that people are talking about, moving satellites around from different orbits and different inclinations and things like that. And just basically putting things in space to... Uh, enable and 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 work with other space companies who are trying to do what they're trying to do. Uh, I think the I think the space for space segment is tricky. Uh, I think there's niche markets in there, but it's a complicated market. Uh, most new space companies are poor, underfunded, uh, have a lot of work to do. And so, if you're if you're working, <laughs> if your business plan is built around working with poor customers. You know, that's a tricky, you know, that's a tricky market. Uh, the space for space, you know, is it, tricky. Space to go further, of course, you know, that's a government market. You know, that's like an Elon Musk type. We got to get back to the Mars. You know, that's 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 its own conversation. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm much more intrigued both from uh, philosophy as well as from kind of an economic standpoint, which is using space to improve life here on Earth to improve how we operate, to improve how we take care of the planet, environmental, social, infrastructure. And so uh, I think there's lots more room there. I think that's where we can really take advantage of, you know, new technologies and some of what these other folks are doing. But that's that's what I'm interested in. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's uh, really nice, uh, um, close to final words, I would say. And I mean, hearing this uh, from someone who is in finance. So basically, uh, we should invest more into space because it helps us to improve uh, life on Earth. Right. So is there anything else you want to um, uh, share with our listeners be before we end the podcast? No, I, th I mean, first off, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the conversation. It's nice to, um, you know, it's nice to talk a little bit more about space, of course. Uh, I th yeah, I mean, we're we're. 
if there if there are other companies out there who who uh, like you are looking for uh, synthetic aperture radar data, Earth observation data, who are building out products and information that can, um, you know, they can take advantage of. We're in we're at that stage, and so we're in the growth stage. We're looking for partners and and other other groups that uh, think they can participate in some of the things we're doing. Uh, we're we're open to all those kind of conversations, and and so uh, yeah, would love to you know would love would love some of your support there. Okay, well, thanks, Scott, uh, and thanks everybody for tuning in. Um, make sure to tune in next time and follow New Space Vision on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and on TikTok for updates, announcement, and more New Space news. See you next time, and thanks again, Scott, for this really interesting conversation today. Thanks so much. I appreciate that. Liftoff. We have a liftoff.